questions about, about the end of the world. Um, uh, maybe you have looked at the, the, the travails of the world that we are experiencing right now and said, how long can this go on? You know, and, and what, would we, what would we anticipate um, as being sort of the, the conclusion of all of this? Um, if you've wondered these things, you're not alone. Uh, 2011, top 10 doomsday fears. Okay, this is according to LiveScience.com. Top 10. Number one was aliens. Uh, number two, black holes. Apparently they expand or something like this. Number three was cosmic impact. Something coming in, bang, blowing us up. Number four, gamma ray bursts. Okay, that, that's a fear for some. Number five, infections. I suspect that one has risen in the list since 2011, right? Uh, number six was nuclear, nuclear war. Uh, number seven was robots. Uh, doomsday fears. Number eight, the sun. Too hot, too cold, right? Uh, number nine, super volcanoes that would bring utter, utter devastation on the world. Number 10 was zombies. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's real, right? There are, there's fear out there. Um, you, you, if you're a student of, uh, of movies or literature, 2018 was an interesting year uh, when lots of people got their tails in a knot thinking maybe this is it. Uh, there, were, uh, there, there was convergence of four consecutive lunar eclipses. And some looked at that as a portent as a sign that maybe the end of the world was coming. There were some famous preachers who made some money off selling books, apparently, um, who, uh, who, you know, blood moon, all this kind of stuff was the concern in 2018. Let me say this, those were false prophets. Stop going to their websites, stop following them. They, they were wrong and they need to be recognized as such. Um, and, and Jesus is gonna speak about this for, uh, this morning in the text. Paul talked about it over the last couple of Sundays as well in his text. Um, so of course, um, uh, there are, there, there is real prophecy. There are those who have anticipated it. The, we just sang It Is Well With My Soul, the original hymn version of that song, final verse. Um, maybe you recognize the prophecy in this. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resign and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. Apparently, you don't know the song well enough that the trump shall resound, not resign. Anyway, when you didn't laugh, I thought, I got to clarify this one or else I'm going to be in big trouble. That's just my failed fail attempt at a joke. Um, there are those... So, so I, I think this is God's you know, humor. I take it this way anyway, because it was almost as though he knew, well, he does. It was almost in anticipation of the fact that we were going to be in Matthew 24 and 25 this week, that last Saturday there was a earthquake in Banff. Um, I, I think the Lord was just kind of raising our sense of urgency. 4.4 on the Richter scale, 17 and some kilometers below the surface. Apparently it's a fairly shallow earthquake. Uh, we're going to talk about earthquakes this morning as we read in our text. Um, convenient, uh, raising the sense of urgency maybe for us. If you're too worried about it, some would say, look, um, this week was also a week of great news because the, uh, the NASA rover uh, Perseverance, I've got a picture of Perseverance here for you, uh, landed on Mars this week, okay? So if things go terribly wrong here on planet Earth, um, there's increased hope of an extraterrestrial option uh, for our rescue, at least on the horizon. Uh, we... We're not the first people to ask questions about what's going on in the world and how long can this last. In fact, uh, Jesus' disciples were thinking about the end of the world too. 
Uh, and, and that's actually what leads us into Matthew chapter 24. Um, Matthew chapter 24 and 25 um, is kind of one presentation of Jesus. Uh, scholars refer to it as uh, his fifth Discourse. So Matthew has preserved for us in his gospel five different discourses or sermons. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the fifth one is what's called the Olivet Discourse. This one in Matthew 24, 25. Uh, it's called that because it's delivered from the Mount of Olives. Olivet Discourse, okay? Um, and this one is probably the most difficult to understand of all of the five, each of the five sermons that Jesus brings. We struggle to understand it. If you've read through, uh, and they're long chapters, all of 24 and 25, um, we, we're kind of left thinking, well, Jesus, would you clarify a few things for us? Because there's some things that I don't fully understand. Um, is Jesus speaking about then? Is he speaking about now? Uh, or is he speaking about the future? Or, or, or maybe he's speaking about all three of those at the same time. Um, is Jesus uh, speaking about kind of one event? Or is he speaking about a series of events that would be repeating through the history that would come? Um, maybe he's speaking about two events, a then and a future event. And, and here's what we know for sure from, uh, from Matthew 24 uh, in particular. Wow, 24 and 25. Jesus intends these words to be instructive and he intends them to be encouraging. And this is true of the disciples then and it's true of us as disciples now. And so he's got a word of encouragement for us this morning and he's got a word of instruction for us this morning. We're gonna read the first part of uh, this fifth discourse um, and, and then we're gonna kind of, over the next few weeks, take it in bite-sized chunks and work our way through these two chapters of Matthew's gospel. So we're going to start with Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. Uh, I'm in the New International Version, if you're looking it up digitally. Uh, it is going to be on the screen here in just a moment. And let me read for you the word of God, Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Jesus said, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I'm the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the word of the Lord. It may help us understand and begin to live or increase in our living in light of 
his word to us. So this is the first portion of uh, uh, this fifth sermon that Jesus brought. This morning what I'd like to do is kind of set the context for this for you, kind of what, what, what was going on that led him to say these things. Um, but we're going to look at the question or questions uh, that the disciples have posed in, in verse 3. And then we're going to look at the instruction that Jesus brings, and then we're going to wrap it up with, uh, with looking at the encouragements that he would intend for us to take from this. So the context, uh, the questions, the instructions, the encouragements, that's the outline. If you pull it down on the OAC app, uh, you can do so, or from our website, and follow along. Make some notes as you go this morning, because this is going to build, it's going to accumulate over the course of these next six Sundays. So the context. It was Tuesday evening in the middle of Holy Week, So three days earlier was Palm Sunday. This was when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, down the Mount of Olives, and into Jerusalem. Um, He he did so to the shouts of, Hoshana, to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Matthew 21. And every day, Jesus returned into Jerusalem to the temple in order to teach. He, He was staying just outside of Jerusalem in Bethany, the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And each day when he would come in, uh, the, the, the crowds were larger as they would listen to him, and the conflict was more intense because the Jewish leaders were taking increased exception to him. Now, they'd already resolved to murder him. They were hoping to get through the Passover weekend, which was just a few days away, when the crowds would disperse and then there'd be less political fallout, okay? Um, that wasn't going to happen. This was going to happen in God's timing, not theirs, um, but they are resolved not to look bad, these, these leaders, um, and so they, they, they strenuously work to try to put Jesus in his place. The irony is they're standing in his place, <laughs> and, and, and it's, 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 an, it's a wild. Uh, we read Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, it says that Jesus left the temple. Now, if we'd read all of chapter 23, we would have seen Jesus bring this incredible smackdown <laughs> to the scribes and to the Pharisees. The teachers of the law, the scribes, uh, the Pharisees, this religious or theologically motivated political group um, who were present in the first century. Um, like an Old Testament prophet, Jesus pronounced seven woes against those leaders. And, and this is the most severe language we could imagine, and it's coming from the lips of Jesus. He calls them out. He, he calls them hypocrites. He says they're blind guides. He says in verse 25 that they're full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he says that they're full of wickedness. And at the crescendo of this diatribe that he brings against them, verse 33, he he says, you snakes, you broods of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Now, that's a good question for every one of us to wrestle with. And Jesus would offer the answer to you. We get to the close of chapter 23, and Matthew records Jesus weeping for Jerusalem, using language that is far more than just the language of a prophet. This is the language of God. This is the voice of God praying over, weeping for the city. This is on the lips of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Listen to this lament in chapter 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, 
How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. There's the, there's the God kind of language right there. And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. If I were the disciples listening to that, I would have good reason to be saying, well, like, is this it? Is this the end of the world? And then he adds the language of this, this prophecy that not one stone is going to be left on another. Uh, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. Um, fulfilled in AD 70. Um, was that it? Or was there more? Um, but the disciples would be listening on, observing all of this, saying, man, the world is changing. What, what is going on? And, and where is this thing going? And so it's, this is the context for the three questions, then, that the disciples pose. I've got a picture of Jerusalem here that I'll show you. Um, this is from the Mount of Olives, kind of looking out across the city of Jerusalem. And um, uh, it's, kind of a, it's, it's a classic view. Uh, the pilgrims that you see there are walking down what, was, what is almost certainly the route that Jesus took on his way into the city on Palm Sunday. Um, except where we look at the city now and you see uh, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, Muslim structures, uh, it, it was the Jewish temple that was there. It was this stunning white sandstone building that, that radiated in the sun, uh, was a, a spectacle of construction and engineering uh, con uh, uh, rebuilt by Herod the Great, expanded by him. If you look, just put the picture back up just for a second, because on the path on the way down, you'll see some trees on the right-hand side, and that is the, um, that's the Garden of Gethsemane there. And uh, that's probably where Jesus and his disciples came to and where the Olivet Discourse is, is brought from. But somewhere along this slope, so this is the Mount of Olives that, that we're standing on as we, where the photographer took that picture, and, um, and we're looking out across Jerusalem. So as Jesus, so verse, chapter 24, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Uh, so I take that to be three questions, but I think as far as the disciples were concerned, it was actually just one question because it was kind of three different ways of saying, asking the same thing from their perspective. But there's a when question that's attached to Jesus' words about the destruction of the temple. When will this come about? Um, and in the mind of a first century uh, Jew, uh, AKA the disciples, um, no temple meant no worship. Uh, no worship meant the end of the world. So the first question is attached to the, th the third question, uh, when is the end of the age? And then there's this middle question that, we're, that is really quite fascinating where they say, what is the sign uh, of your coming? And we say, well, from the disciples' perspective, they've already said in the Gospels, they're not expecting Jesus to be going anywhere, right? Like, they don't know. They re they've not comprehended that, you know, just a couple of days away, he's going to be betrayed and then executed, and then uh, he, he would rise from the dead, and then he would ascend to the Father. And, and from our perspective, we read that as a second coming. Matthew, and he wrote it, knew we're talking about a second coming, but the disciples standing on the side of the Mount of Olives, they had no idea. And so probably what they meant was, when are you gonna step into your own? 
like the king has come, the Messiah has come. Uh, well, here we are on the Mount of Olives. You're not sitting on the throne in, in David's city. When's that going to happen? Three questions. When? The sign question and the end question. Fortunately, they're all saved for us, and though they may be meant it a little different than we now mean it when we read it and, uh, and interact with it, uh, we benefit from the questions they're asking. So the fifth discourse is coming in response to both the prophetic statement that Jesus made and the questions that the disciples posed. And then Jesus, and then Jesus uh, it says, in response doesn't answer the question. He goes rather to instruction. Now, he will kind of answer the question. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Um, But firstly, he goes to instruction. So, uh, verse 4, scholar Frederick Brunner um, uh, kind of sums up the instructions, or at least the first part of the instructions in this way. Jesus is saying this, watch out. Watch out for tricks and fears, haters and falls. Um, Verse four, Jesus answered, watch out, that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Watch out for tricks, okay? Um, Verse six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Okay, so here's the fears piece, tricks and fears. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Okay, so in other words, it's the beginning of the end, but it's not the end. Fears. Uh, Jesus doesn't go straight to the when question, and and it's driven many people crazy. I mean, we'll get to verse 36 next Sunday, where he, he gets to the when question, but says only the Father knows. So, so the, the question is important and it's really helpful to us, but Jesus is not prepared to be bossed around by the question. Jesus has an agenda here of what he wants you to know, what he wants us to be interacting with, something far more important, and that is this, that the disciples would be prepared to steel themselves against the challenges that they're going to face. It's going to be very different than they anticipated. They didn't see it coming. Jesus knows it, but, but, but he's calling, and so he's calling them to prepare. See, the Jewish expectation was that when the Messiah came, Jewish expectation, a.k.a. the disciples, they're all Jews, when the Messiah would come, he, he would set all things right. David's throne would once again be inhabited by an heir to David's throne forever, ruling things in, with justice and compassion All foreign occupiers would be removed from the nation, evicted, and the nation would resume its place of global significance, dominance even, and all the peoples of the world would come and worship Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty in place. That was what was anticipated. And if we were to see things from the disciples' perspective, we'd we'd be in error because they didn't get it. We struggle to get it this side of a bunch of events. They struggled to get it that side. Fears, uh, tricks, fears, haters. Uh, Verse nine, uh, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because 
of me. And then falls. Verse 10, at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. False prophets. Um, They look good. They look real. It looks true, but it's not. We're going to come back to that. It might be helpful to think about Jesus' instructions to his disciples here like a coach preparing the team for a a big game. Okay? Um, He's got some insights. He's got some reminders. You know, we've been practicing, we've been rehearsing, we've been getting this, but he's got some insights to offer, some reminders to it, because you're in a moment you're going to step onto the ice, and, and then it's in your hands. And it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be challenging. So, um, uh, what, 17 days ago, I think it was, um, Thursday, February 4th, uh, the world's longest hockey game um, began. Uh, up just outside of Edmonton, maybe you heard about it, maybe you were following it, outdoor rink. Um, 40 players... Um, competing 24-7 for 10 or 11 days, well over a week, um, through what ended up being like our worst cold stretch here in Alberta. At one point, they were playing outdoor hockey in minus 67 degrees Fahrenheit. I cannot imagine this. Um, Monday, Monday, February 15th at 6 a.m., they broke the world record of over 252 hours of consecutive play. Isn't that amazing? Over 5,000 goals were scored. Um, The final score was 2,649 to 2,528, with Team Hope winning the charity event that raised $1.8 million for cancer research. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, holy smokes. I wonder what was the coach's sermon to the team in the locker room before that game like? Right? I suspect that after the guys, this is going to be hard. You know, you know, you know, steal yourself. After that part would come then an inspiring, an inspiring speech that would say, look, guys, yes, this is going to be hard. This is a worthy cause. This is a worthy cause that you're giving yourself to. This is fantastic. Guys, you're going to remember these 10 days for the rest of your life. These may be defining moments for you. These are the stories that you're going to tell your your children and your grandchildren. And yes, it was difficult, but you persevered through the end. And we won. We won. Here's the inspirational part of Jesus' sermon thus far. Verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Professor Rodney Reeves writes this. We can tell by the way the disciples asked the questions that they held to the common expectation that the old age would come to an end with a bang, and that the messianic age would begin with cosmic fireworks that would put everyone on notice that the Messiah is large and in charge. But that's not how it would happen. What was anticipated to come all at once would come over a much longer period of time than the disciples could have imagined. We're going to talk about that next Sunday too. However, Jesus' assurance 
is that by attending to his instructions, you're going to make it. You're going to persevere through this if you will attend to the instructions of Jesus. New Testament scholar Don Carson, he writes this, only those who endure in love, verse 12, and despite persecution will be saved, verse 13. They must stand firm or endure to the end. That's a description of individual responsibility which must persist through the end of your life. And it's a description of corporate responsibility to the final consummation, the church. Part of the effect of this tribulation, Carson writes, therefore, is to purify the body of professed disciples. Our world, friends, our world has a best before date. Jesus said the end will come. This earth will expire, and I would understand that to mean the cosmos. Calling you on Mars is not going to save you. And here's what Jesus wants us to capture essentially from this portion of the text. Jesus is charging us to guard the gospel. To guard the hope that you have that's fixed in him. Guard it in yourself and guard it for the benefit of those who have yet to hear it and need to hear it. He's calling us to stand firm and to share our hope in Jesus freely. Because the reality is that the doomsday fears are well-founded. We are vulnerable. What are you going to do in response to a very real vulnerability. Over the coming Sundays, we're gonna, we're gonna keep endorsing the Alpha Course and strongly encourage you to pray for those who don't know Jesus, your friends, your family. Maybe this is you. Maybe you've not resolved who is Jesus and why did Jesus die and uh, how and why should I pray? How and why should I read my Bible? Those are the questions that we cover in the Alpha Course. But, but pray about who you'd bring to the, this online course with you. It's never been easier. They don't even have to live in the area. Somebody across the country, around the world. Uh, 7 p.m., Thursday, April 8th. We're going to start every Thursday night. Um, we're going to keep endorsing this and calling us to it because the world has a best before date. This is all going to come crashing down. The fear is real the end is coming, but Jesus has come for everyone who will turn to him and be saved. We're going to talk more about this. But this week we attend to Jesus' words because they're for those who are already disciples. This was a conversation. The disciples came to him in private. They said, would you tell us about this? And he said, yes, I will. And his instruction is a concern that you would stand firm to the end. That you would freely share the good news that we have and you would continue to embrace it. You gotta be embracing it to be able to share it. And so we need to guard this. How are you going to safeguard your faith in the midst of the tribulations of just living life? Jesus' words, watch out, verse four. Don't let anyone lead you astray, he says. The tricks. Um, he's concerned about deception, leading some away. 
false prophets, people who say they're representing Jesus, but they're not. Paul talked about some of these in the letter to the Philippians, right? Do you remember? Um, look out, they look out for their own interests um, rather than for the interests of others. Uh, they're greedy for gain. Probably a different group he describes as these legalists who are trying to add to Jesus. The work of Jesus is not enough. You need to do certain rituals and things in order to secure your salvation, the Jesus plus plan. Man, Paul's hard on them. These are the people that, that Jesus is concerned about, the false prophets. These are the people that Paul was concerned about. And he says, you need to be on your guard. How do we guard? How do we guard against deception? I mean, if we were just to look at the broader biblical witness, there's at least three things that that immediately come to mind. Number one, immerse yourself in Scripture. We need to be those who are intent. What does it say? Where is it found? Uh, Be be increasingly familiar with God's word to us. Secondly, we need to seek the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. He is our teacher, he is our guide, and he will safeguard his good deposit that has been placed in you. So immerse ourselves in scripture, continually seek the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then surround ourselves with others who are longing to walk faithfully with Jesus too. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow others who are following my example. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And if I somehow screw up and I'm not following Jesus, stop following me. Okay? Like, like every one of the Jesus imitators are human beings who, who, who can fail. By God's mercy, I hope never to be in such a category. Because I am praying for you what I pray for myself, and that is that we would stand firm to the end. That Jesus' words for us would be words that would encourage us. And and so we want to be guarded against the tricks, guarded against the fears, the wars, politics, that's the kingdom against kingdom stuff, right? Famines, earthquakes. Jesus said, don't be alarmed. Know that they are coming, but it's not the end. Uh, The coach has been coaching us, right? Minus 67 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, Yes, it's brutal, but play on. Play on. It is worth it. Stay with Jesus. Tricks and fears, haters. And the sad irony is that we as the representatives of Jesus bring hope to the world and yet the, the reality is we'll be hated and abused and even murdered and it's happening this day. Like I know that that's not our reality here in southern Alberta. And yet around the world this week people died because they, they professed Jesus. We need to be praying for the church in the persecuted parts of the world. We need to stand with them, support them as best we can. But the coach has prepared us for this, and he's saying, look, this ought not undo your faith. It's actually going to demonstrate who is truly, who is truly with me. It falls. Some who start with Jesus will not stay with Jesus. And it is a very sad reality. As pastors, we grieve every time one of those stories comes to light. But friends, I want you to persevere with Jesus. I want every one of you to stand firm to the end. And I realize that this may be kind of a dour, somber kind of message from Jesus here, but listen to his assurance. He says, the gospel of the kingdom, verse 14, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The mission is going to be accomplished. We're we're playing for the winning team. 
And Jesus has secured the victory for us, and we take enormous encouragement. Whatever is going on around us, whatever it is that we're looking at that seems to be discouraging, seems to be frustrating, seems to be counterintuitive even, we know that Jesus has won the victory. And every Sunday, do you know what? Every Sunday we come to the Lord's table in order to keep the victory of Jesus front and center for us as his people. The bread from the Passover meal represents his body given. The cup from the Passover meal represents his blood poured out to atone for your sin and mine. Have you turned to Jesus? In the middle of the tricks and fears and haters and falls of this life, who or what are you turning to as your place of hope? The only one who is able to effect your rescue from doomsday is Jesus. I'm going to pray as we prepare for the Lord's table, but I'm going to pray particularly in a way that I'd invite you that if you've not become a follower of Jesus yet, you would pray this prayer with me, and, and this would be the beginning of your journey in following Jesus. Maybe it's a continuance, but it's a defining moment in your following of Jesus. Let's bow together. Dear Jesus, I'm coming to you this morning acknowledging that I need a savior. In this very threatening world, I am choosing to turn to you and to begin to follow you. Until now, I have largely walked my own way. Please forgive me. I receive your grace and mercy and choose to, to embrace your forgiveness, and I choose to walk henceforth in your ways. Come and fill me, Lord Jesus. Teach me to walk in your ways. I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.